So this morning, I'm going to do something just a little bit different here. And so just so you just anticipate that I'm going to get you up in a few minutes for the reading of your, the Word. I'm not going to read the entirety of 1 Samuel 17. It's a very long uh, passage. I'll summarize uh, some of it. Uh, but I'm fulfilling Elder Tom's request that we get to chapter 16. So in order to get to chapter 16, I need to catch you up uh, from chapter where we were last week uh, there. And uh, one of the reasons why it's so important to see chapter 16, which we're not going to read, is that we're meant to read them together. And that'll become evident in a few moments. So last week in 1 Samuel 8, we saw that the people demanded a king like the nations around them. They were rejecting uh, God's rule over them. And surprisingly, he said to his prophet Samuel, make a king for them. And the king they got was Saul. And uh, Saul led Israel to one military victory. And then he fails badly three times. He is the king they ask for, but not the king they need. And then in chapter 16, uh, the Lord speaks to Samuel once again. He says this, How long will you grieve over Samuel, excuse me, over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Now that word provide is actually in Hebrew the word see. So in a more wooden way we could translate this. Uh, God sees a man who will be the kind of king that Israel needs. Samuel's afraid to go because after all Saul is king and he's convinced Saul will kill him. And so God tells him go on the pretext of calling for a sacrifice. And so uh, Samuel goes, he calls Jesse's family uh, together, and uh, Samuel looks over at Elab, his oldest son, and says, surely this is the Lord's anointed. But God says, don't look on his appearance or on his height, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. The seven sons of Jesse pass in front of Samuel. He's sure that the king is among them, but none. The Lord says, no, 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 no. And so he turns over to dad and says, do you have any more sons? And he says, yeah, I've got one. He's out with the sheep. He wasn't important enough to be brought in uh, to the feast. And the Lord tells Samuel to anoint David. The Spirit of God rushes upon him and remains uh, with him that day uh, forward. The repetition of the word see and look underlines the lesson of chapter 16. And we are meant to carry that lesson into chapter 17 as we read it. So I want to invite you to stand and um, I'll call out uh, when I drop uh, some of this passage, if you're following along in your Bible. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, be pleased to illumine to our hearts and minds this, your scripture. Speak to us and help us to see Jesus today. It's in his name we pray. Amen. 
Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soko and Azekah in Ephas Damon. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah. And they drew up a line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain of the other side with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had a bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spearhead weighed 600 shekels of iron. And a shield-bearer went before him, and he stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard the words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. And then in between, uh, we're introduced uh, to David once again. And David's father tells him to take provisions for his brothers up on the battlefield. And then I'm going to pick up uh, in verse 19. Now Saul... And they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for a battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper, the baggage, and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers." And he talked with them, Behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before, and David heard him. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? And when the words, verse 31, And when the words of, that David spoke were heard, they were repeated before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart Fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth. And he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw 
of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. And then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor, and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. And then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. And then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and then put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. And then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies to the hosts of the Philistines, this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. And then the Philistine rose and came and drew near to meet David. David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. David, so David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. You may take your seats. Well, this is perhaps the best known story of all the Old Testament, and certainly one of the best known in all the Bible. And for most people, the meaning of the story is just obvious. The little guy overcomes all the gods, uh, all the odds, and takes down the big guy. The, the Christian version of this is, uh, by faith you can slay your giants. Goliath's a giant. And a giant can be anything, you know. It could be an illness you're uh, having, uh, maybe a, a, an emotional struggle in your life, uh, some circumstance uh, that's distressing, or maybe a person. And, uh, and the point is, by your faith, you can go be a David and take down that uh, giant. Now, this is way of coming at this passage is a little like going down to the National Gallery of Art and admiring the frames and ignoring the masterpieces. Because this way of focusing on David uh, uh, to the exclusion of what the Holy Spirit wants to show you here impoverishes your understanding of this passage and may even be kind of guilt-inducing because it leaves you with the message, go and be a David. And if you don't feel like your faith is up to it, you should feel, well, don't be surprised if your giants are crushing you. Um, that's a, not the gospel, and it's not what this passage is teaching us. This whole story 
points us to God. And I want to show you the first, the clues that show you that this David is not the primary focus of this passage, even though he's the most obvious actor. So the first clue is actually the repeated word. In, in the original, it's harap, and it, it's translated reproach, defy, mock, or deride. It's used six times here. And this word is on the lips of Goliath. And it tells us he's more than this invincible, intimidating, powerful soldier. No, Goliath dishonors the one true living God. And the next clue is the words on David's lips. In three speeches, uh, David speaks about God. Uh, the first time, uh, he says that who is this that he should defy the armies of the living God? What David sees is a Philistine soldier whose God is not alive and who's dishonoring the true God. In the second speech, David announces that God is going to fight this battle so that all the world might know that there is a living God in Israel, that in fact the people of God might know that the living God uh, delivers, not with sword and spear. And the third clue is when you put together chapters 16 and 17, uh, and you appreciate that the lesson in chapter 16 is this, that spiritual reality is a matter of the heart. And that our eyes don't capture spiritual reality. The kind of king Israel needs is a king after God's own heart. God sees in David the kind of king Israel needs. He's a man after God's own uh, heart. And Samuel can't see that. He doesn't recognize uh, David for who he is. People tend to look on the outward and God sees the heart. Spiritual reality is often overlooked. It's missed because of physical appearances. And so when we put this together and we read it uh, with chapter 17, what we see is that David has learned to see what others cannot see. So let me go back over this story and just help you make, connect all the, the seeing that's going on here. So Goliath's introduced to us. This is the longest description of any soldier in the Bible. Uh, he is introduced as a champion. He is nine feet and nine inches tall, and he wears a coat of armor that weighs 125 pounds. The iron tip on his spear weighs 15 uh, pounds, and he has his shield bearer going before him because his arms are so full of weapons. Um, and he defies uh, Israel to bring out their champion uh, to fight. Now, just as an aside, the person who should have gone out to fight is named Saul. He's the tallest man in Israel. Uh, but Saul, uh, all Saul sees is the same thing the Israelites see each day as uh, Goliath comes out and issues the challenge. They see an impressive soldier and they are intimidated by what they see. 
So David is introduced uh, for the second time in the book of Samuel. He's sent to supply uh, the troops. And as he approaches the quartermaster, Goliath comes out again. And he shouts this same uh, challenge. And the armies of Israel cower in uh, fear. But David is told that Saul has tried to incentivize courage in his army by promising a man and his family freedom from taxes for the rest of their lives. That's a pretty good deal, right? But you also get to become royalty. You get to marry into the royal uh, family. And David keeps asking this question, and the reason he does is he seeks to see the king. He wants an audience with King Saul. You see, David sees what no one else sees, that God is identified with Israel. God claims Israel as his people, and God is not indifferent toward the slurs on his reputation. David has eyes that are focused on God's glory, on God's honor, on God's reputation. And here's the first point. So we're more than halfway done, so don't, don't worry here too much. Those with an eye for God's honor can see what others cannot see. Those with an eye on God's honor for God's glory see what others cannot see. Israel is in a crisis. They're facing the powerful army of the people who've oppressed them for decades. And no one sees the situation in relation to God except David. David alone can see the honor and glory of God. And this is the tragedy, actually, of the lives of many Christians. Many Christians, as they go through life, feel utterly alone. Uh, They're living, in effect, as if God is not a part of their lives, uh, as if God doesn't really exist. And David looks below the appearances, he looks below the surface and sees in the midst of this crisis what's really happening. Have you learned to look below the surface of danger, of trouble, of uncertainty? Can you see God when you're encountering that? Can you see where God's glory and honor and reputation are in those circumstances? Being able to see that will enable you to act. Now, Hebrew stories, Old Testament Hebrew stories, don't advance around the action as much as they do actually around the, well, the conversations. And there are three conversations here in chapter 17. The first one is between David and his older brother. And uh, Elab, uh, here's David asking about uh, Goliath and and what the king might uh, do. And and, uh, he treats David with contempt. Actually, he mirrors what Goliath says uh, to David. You know, you're nobody. (laughs) Get out of the way, boy. (laughs) Then David talks to Saul. And uh, David says, don't let anybody be faint-hearted. And Saul says, you can't go. You're too young. You have no experience. This man has a trained warrior, and he's been in battle for years. 
And Saul is looking at Goliath, and he's very impressed with this man's experience. He's impressed by how uh, large he is. He's very impressed by his armaments. And so he turns to David and says, David, here, let me, let me clothe you in my armor. And David tries it on and he says, I'm not going to wear it. David is not going to become a little Saul or, if you prefer, a little Goliath. He doesn't do that at all. But he does express profound confidence that he will prevail over Goliath. Now notice his explanation. It's full of faith. And so it's not wrong to see David's faith in this passage. It's really there. It's, it's the frame, but it's not the main thing. But it's an important part of the frame. And he says, in effect, that this uncircumcised Philistine is no more frightening than a lion or a bear trying to eat one of the sheep in my father's uh, flock. I have confronted them and even killed them. See, in David's mind, all God's enemies are reduced to the same level. The Philistine is no different than this dumb beast that he's fought off before. So regardless of size or strength, the Lord will provide a victory. Now, what's going on here is really important to live a faithful Christian life. And it's this. David's faith employs both memory and logic. You see, David, uh, and this is the nature of faith, faith looks back on God's past actions, on how uh, God acted, how God came to the rescue, how God met you in, in difficulty. Uh, and if you have trouble remembering that, you need to start writing those things down <laughs> because you'll need them. <laughs> there will come a day when you need to remember uh, what it is that God has done for you. And then there's logic, and it's this. If all God's enemies come in only one size, and God has defeated one of your enemies, he can take on any of them. None of them are too big to be defeated. You see that? Faith is set on fire by memory and logic. And this is what the Heidelberg Catechism is getting at on Lord's Day 9. Let me just uh, remind you of what it says. What do you believe when you say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? And so here's the fact of what God has done. That the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and everything in them, who still upholds and rules them by his eternal counsel and providence, is my God and Father for the sake of Christ his Son. That's the fact. God has redeemed you, and now you are his child, the creator of the heavens and the earth. The almighty God has claimed you as his child. And here's faith. I, the, the catechism goes on, I trust God so much that I do not doubt he will provide whatever I need for body and soul and will turn to my good whatever adversity he sends upon me in this veil of tears. And then here's the logic. He is able to do this because he is almighty God. He desires to do this because he is a faithful father. That is faith 
set on fire by the facts of who God is and what he has done and memory working out in logic to the reality that this is for me. My God, he will act for me. He has the power to act for me. And he's my faithful father. He delights in doing this. So here's what we've seen. The first point's this, that those with an eye for God's honor see what others do not see. And the second point is this, those with an eye for God's honor act. Those with an eye for God's honor act. When you see God's honor, you will take action. So David goes out and meets Goliath on the battlefield. And uh, 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 Goliath trash talks. You know, it's kind of an ancient form of trash talk uh, there coming out out of his mouth. And David replies, there is a God in Israel, and God will show the whole earth there's a God in Israel. And a God, a God who will look out for his honor, uh, a God who will use the unlikely, who will take the weak. David goes out not in armor, but in true strength. His true strength is reliance on God. Uh, David is not gripped with paralyzing fear. Everybody else, including Saul, is intimidated by Goliath. And see, here again we need to see how chapters 16 and 17, how it is seeing below the surface enables action. So the Israelite troops, they see and hear an intimidating infantryman from the Philistine camp who looks and sounds invincible. David, however, only hears and sees uh, blasphemous defiance of the armies of the living God. Others see reasons to be afraid, to hesitate, but David only sees reasons for taking immediate action. Others see despair where David sees an opportunity to vindicate God's nation. In other words, you see, David has learned what Samuel had to learn there on the day that he made David king, which is that he's seen below superficial appearances to the realities of the heart. David, uh, instead of being hopeless in the Valley of Elah, David sees that the Lord has given victory against his enemy, this defiant Philistine. Have you learned this lesson? Have you learned to look beyond the physical, beyond the temporal, to what's eternal, to what's real, and what's true? See, this story, this event, shows that God's salvation is not accomplished by military might, but through simple trust and reliance on him. There is a God who will look out for his reputation, uh, his honor. And he uses the unlikely, the weak, the armorless. Well, there's a whole series of sermons there. Uh, The temptations to take the world's weapons to win the honor of God in our nation or in any circumstance. 
You see, the theme of weakness is really important here, and it may not be obvious, but actually all of the people, important people, in chapter 17 think of David as weak. Eleb says, you're a pain. Saul says, you're green. And Goliath says, you're puny. You know, you're just a, you're just a just stick. You're just send a stick out here. Am I a dog? Um, but David is the one that God uses. God uses him to deliver. David doesn't have the right equipment. He refuses to be a little Goliath, but he demonstrates that it is the living God who brings deliverance without the symbols of man's strength. Now, here, I want you to listen closely. Your inadequacy is actually the greatest qualification you have to live for God and to be useful to him. Some of you are telling yourself that, no, no, I'm I'm inadequate, I don't measure up, Uh, I can't do that, don't send me here, Lord, Uh, I can't step into that, no, don't don't expect me to do that. Um, But I want to tell you that it is your weakness that God is pleased to use. He loves to meet you in your weakness. Ralph Davis uh, has this uh, illustration of this. Under uh, the reign of paganism, a Christian woman was imprisoned and sentenced to death for her faith. The day before her execution, she went into labor, and she naturally cried out in her birth pangs. And her jailer taunted her and said, if you make a noise today, how will you endure a violent death tomorrow? And she replied, today I suffer what is ordinary and I expect only ordinary assistance. But tomorrow I will suffer what is more than ordinary, and I shall hope for more than ordinary assistance. God delights in inadequacy. Goliath is called a champion. And here David, who's been anointed king, is Israel's champion. He is the king after God's own heart. But Jesus is a greater and better champion than David ever was. Jesus is the one who is our champion, has secured our salvation so that we might be restored and given sight for God's honor. David's triumph over Goliath is not primarily about faith, conquering obstacles. No, it points rather to the victory of Jesus Christ on the cross, achieving our salvation. Jesus was dishonored on the cross so that you might have the honor of being restored to the fullness of the image of God. Jesus willingly chose to be dishonored and came to the cross in utter weakness so that through his weakness God might accomplish what could not be achieved with human strength. Now let me let me just summarize this with a couple of final applications. When you see what's true in chapter 16 that the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. When you see that that's what actually informs David's bold stance against uh, Goliath, 
then you, you can really understand chapter 17 is really in some ways just an illustration of this principle in chapter 16. So what appearance tends to overwhelm you and undo your faith? Is it what other people think of you? Is it the circumstances that you're in? Is it what other people choose to do? I could tell you many stories in my own life where those things have overwhelmed my faith. But I won't. When we meet challenges with faith, not merely with David's example, but primarily because of the saving work of Christ that has been applied uh, to us, then we may be confident that God will act to restore his honor. We need to remember this in our lives as sin and evil touches us, and we need to remember it in every sphere, whether it's uh, our concern for the state of the church in America or the state of our nation. We should use our past experience of God's faithfulness to embolden our faith, to set it on fire. We need to reason from what we know about God, what we've experienced from his hand, that he is our Heavenly Father who will care for us through every circumstance that he brings. The whole purpose of God's salvation in Christ is that you might bring glory to God. Well, I don't know what every one of you is facing, but the question is, what does God's glory ask you to do? How will that shape the expression of faith in your life this week, this month, this year? Let me pray for you. Gracious Heavenly Father, in your kindness, be pleased to open our eyes, help us each one uh, to see what Christ has done for us and how to walk out this truth. Write it into our hearts and minds, we pray.